Good morning, everybody. You're watching Finance and Technology Insights with Brian and Eric. I'm your host, Eric Bjorndorf, along with me, my co-host, Brian Williams. How's it going, Brian? Good, good. What's happening, Eric? Not much. We're, uh, let's see, today we're episode 26. So uh, we shocked the, the world. They never thought the March we, continues. <laughs> didn't think we'd make it. Yeah, yeah, we're Prove, doing it. Proving though. all the haters wrong every Tuesday. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're fill, filling the so the uh, content can, as they say. Yeah. What, what are you up to these days? Oh, uh, well, so yeah, on the, on the personalized, we're sort of kind of quasi vacation, I guess. Not really, though. We're both set up here, my wife and I, to, to do work and work in regular hours. So we are uh, in Mayfield, New York, Southern Adirondacks, which is uh, where my mother is. So, so he's, a, he's a camp Grammy pretty much all day. So he's uh, she's about five miles away. So we drop him off in the morning and then usually we'll we'll visit for lunch. And then it's up to him whether he wants to stay at Grammys for nap time or come back with us or if he wants to sleep at Grammys or sleep here. So he's got some some flexibility and we just kind of roll with it. But uh, cool. yesterday it rained all day, which was awesome because I love being up here in the rain. It was just a, a very quiet, steady rain all day, which which they needed up here. And just to look out on the lake and just see it all day and kind of see the storm rolls it, roll in is uh, I really do like being up here in the rain. So um, so that was nice. And uh, we did some interesting stuff over the weekend. So I told Eric before we came on, if I ramble a little bit here to, to cut me off, but uh, Let's have it. so so my grandfather was a uh, a forest ranger, a fire tower forest ranger. So um, in the early 1900s in the Adirondacks, they did the first wave of fire towers. Um, about, uh, yeah, so 1910, they put up some steel towers and he took the post uh, probably about 42 or 40, 43, maybe a little bit later, probably after World War II. Um, so he would he would basically go up there, spend the majority of the day at the top of the fire tower with his binoculars looking for looking for smoke and uh, and then phone it in if, if there was an issue. And then at That's night that work, they literally would just spend a day up there yeah. monitoring for smoke. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems so obvious, but I, I used to ride up in the um, in Western Massachusetts, um, my dirt bikes, and we'd come across fire towers all the time. Yeah. And that's what they were doing. People would just just hike out there and pop, just kind of occupy a tower. Yeah. And he had uh, and so some some of them, depending on where they were and how hard it was to get to and whatever, there are different varying levels of um, accommodation of rangers. Yeah. So, you know, some of them were just daily. I mean, if it was a mile away, I mean, sometimes somebody you'd have somebody work a night shift and a day shift and then they they'd swap off or whatever. But this one actually had some. uh primitive mild uh, accommodations up there so so anyway so he he worked up there for while well, my dad was was growing up and um so he you know obviously go up to visit and it, he sort of doubled a little bit as a uh bit of a, a tour guide or i don't know what park you call ranger. it but yeah park ranger and so people would would visit and they'd, they'd climb the tower and uh you know he'd, he'd give them points of interest this is so-and-so lake this is so-and-so mountain and that sort of stuff so there was that component to it too um do you have do you know how many of those the 
is that federal forest uh, management? Is that with a federal agency or with a state? I, I believe there was a federal component to it too, because um, even though they were officially fire towers, to some extent they were, uh, there was a military component too. Obviously they're looking for, you know, this stuff during world war, more were so world war two, but there was a world war two component to it too. So uh, let me see, I'm going to share my, my screen here. Let me just cause I did. I find um, it fascinating. So take, take your time. Yeah. So let me share tab here because i remember riding up uh we were in granville massachusetts and in western massachusetts and we would see those exact towers all the time of course they were all kind of dilapidated and unused and yeah um but that that's that must be a that one must be a standard design because that yes. is exactly <laughs> what we would and this, see yeah so this was part of the the first wave there were there were 10 of these and uh um this picture says circa 1916 to 20 so this is um the first wave that came out in, in 1910 so um so what happened was they in the 70s they didn't have use for these anymore and a lot of them were demolished and taken down and it was part of that whole you know 70s which like architecturally from baseball fields to office buildings like the whole just was was a disaster and nobody right. was really thinking about the preservation of them and and whatever um but there's there's been a wave recently to try to restore the ones that happen to be in place and um there's even like a, a adirondack fire tower like club and different like patches you can get almost like boy scout patches for those who have visited everyone and climbed everyone and you have to you know you submit pictures and date and time and all that so uh so to add to this story there was a guy in um Plattsburgh area, which is very northern New York, northern Adirondacks, who, um, as they were taking this one, this, not this one, but taking the fire tower down near him, uh, said, well, I'll, I'll take it. Give me all the components. And he basically stored it at his house, um, all the components to this, this fire tower. This was your grandfather? No, no. This was a, a different guy up in, up in Plattsburgh. Oh. So he, um, so he kept this fire tower with the idea that sometime he'd he'd re-erect it somewhere or, or do something with it and he never did and he passed away um but he, there's still this fire tower basically in this guy's garage so um so another town ended up reaching out to him uh or his his family and saying you know we'll take it and we're not going to put it back up on on top of a mountain but we're going to put this in a um in a local park i'm going to put this in uh closer to the lake and kind of a so they erected this tower and um so it's this, this whole story and they put it back together and it was almost in like pristine condition they didn't really have to change much so so that actually just went up a few months ago so confluence of all this stuff and i'm a big like fire tower guy so they put this thing up so i said to my wife it's only about half an hour away let's go take a look at this this fire tower that they just put up so they didn't do a grand opening you can't climb it yet but we we went out and we uh you know we saw the fire tower and whatever it's cool and then from there it's about 20 minutes to where my dad grew up and um they have a museum there that's you know it's open a couple like on the weekends like one to four it's just a tiny thing so um so we ended up going there uh oh that's see. me sorry oh you're yeah <laughs> sorry uh so let me share mine back here. Um, so we ended up going to this museum. So this is this is a picture I took of that fire tower that my grandfather manned for for a while. 
And one of the uh, exhibits there was the phone that was in the, so it says down here, Tea Lake Mountain. This was the phone that was in the, the fire tower where they would call if they saw an issue. And then, um, so that's a picture of my grandfather that's in a, um, they had that picture there and it's also- That's your grandfather? Book. Yeah. That's in so a, cool. Uh, in a book about fire tower. Yeah. So he manned it from 1930 to 1940. Um, and what's funny about this is, and this kind of sounds like something my family would do, but so one of the things he used to do is the- visitors and the tourists would walk you know up up the ladder on the inside and they'd zigzag back and forth and go up the tower and so as soon as the as the tourists got into the the booth the hikers what my grandfather would do is climb on the outside of mm. the uh, up the steel things and then he would he would pop up on the outside of the fire tower and freak out and get and stuff <laughs> so that was kind of like his prank that he would like <laughs> pop up there so that's um, funny yeah so that sort of cracks me up but thinking about you know, as, it, as we're hiking this stuff in the summer and doing stuff, the the outfits and, you know, uniform that he had to wear. I mean, he's up here. And I'm I was sure just going to say, I mean, you know, the, there's probably limited oversight out there. The guy could have gone in shorts and a T-shirt and it probably yeah. wouldn't have mattered. No, and I'm sure this was for some sort of, you know, official photo or something right. like that. But but if you look down at his, his, his feet here and it looks like he's got some kind of boots on there and they look a little shiny, um, but they actually had as a, part of the exhibit there. These were his actual uh, shin guards that he had. So no kidding. So these are shin guards that he wore to, uh, you know, cause sometimes you have to, you know, there's a trail up there obviously, but sometimes you have to go off trail to do certain things or yeah, for sure. Whatever. But uh, yeah, you got to so make a beeline to a fire or something and try to rake it out. Yeah. You're, you're cutting through uh, rough terrain. Yeah. So this was his, uh, so these were his actual shin guards that he wore that were on display at the museum. So, uh, so I totally got to like nerd out about that stuff. That is cool. Uh, and this is, this is pretty, pretty wacky. But so my, my, uh, so my grandfather, the same guy that worked in the tower, they had a general store. This was their, their general store. Um, and it also, my grandmother was the postmaster or postmistress. And the post office was in the back of the store, which in most places you obviously wouldn't be allowed to do. But when you're in pretty sparse country and, and limited, right, you, know, you, can, stuff, you can consolidate so, where you can. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, it's good for business. You get your post office at the back of the yeah. general store. But and so my my uh, father and family lived upstairs and then the, the post office and the, and the general store were there. So I'd seen this picture before this picture I hadn't seen before. So it's just from from a different angle. But so I posted this in like a, a local group up there, Paseco, New York. This is pretty wild. And some guy posted, uh, there's some really nice things said about like, uh, like my father and stuff, but I'm trying to see where's, uh, hmm. maybe it was another post. I posted in a couple different groups. Oh yeah. So this, so check this out. This is um, this is a guy who who was as a young man visited there to get comics and stuff, and he had actually drawn a picture of of my dad and his his parents' store, like because it was so important to him That's as a kid. So he and his buddies used to ride their bike there to the Pacific look at those General banana seats. I know, I know. So he posted this picture, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I have this drawing that I did to you know of some of the stuff that was important to my youth and." Uh, and this is me and my buddies, you know, drinking soda, reading our comics and riding our bikes to your dad's store. So, oh, my God. That's awesome. So, yeah. So that that was 
that was pretty cool to, you know, somebody posted something like that. And, um, yeah, so that stuff's always neat. When you, That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty neat. So anyway, so that, that was my, my weekend and just posting it, you know, when you, uh, when you do things like that, you know, you're going to get people like, Oh, or, you know, we're assuming some, somebody said, I'm assuming you're related to Pasico Williams family. So I said, yeah, Tim was my father. Somebody said, I worked for your dad for two summers at the store when I was in college in the sixties, he would go to Utica twice a week to get fresh meat and vegetables to sell. I knew your grand grandma, who was of course the postmistress that a small area in the store with a small barred window where she sold stamps, gave out mail and accepted packages, a staircase to the left, which you can see better in that guy's drawing, <laughs> led upstairs to the family uh, family living space. Tim, which was my father, was a special man, soft-spoken and a real gentleman. When did, when did he pass? So that was just kind of cool, just to, that to, is so to cool. follow that whole cycle of, I, I end up watching this video about this fire tower being re-erected. So I go up to see that, loop over, link to, you know, this, this museum that's got our own sort of fire tower linkage history, post the pictures and then kind of have full circle to people posting comments about the my thread father, that so. you just pulled. The, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was pretty interesting, pretty wild to go through all that, but, uh, not, not that I can even match how interesting your weekend was, but just as an aside, um, I pulled this up. One thing that I always found fascinating as a pilot, um, there are, you know, this fire, there's a lot of different types of um, 20th century structures that the country erected um, that are that are just sprinkled around us. That's that we just don't see anymore. They're just they're just they harken back to a, a different time. You know, they mm -hmm. say that there's um, bunkers in the embutments to like uh, Brooklyn Bridge to that were designed to store um uh, food stores and things in the event mm -hmm. of a catastrophe. And, uh, so many people don't know about them. And I saw a special on that. Well, another one of those things is, you know, um, in the, in the first half of the 1900s, they, um, you know, when, when, when America took flight and hu the humans, you know, humans took flight, I guess, um, they started this, um, air route, uh, these air route services, and it was a it was a pretty pretty special deal. And what they this was pre navigation, um, where they were literally flying um, by sight. And so what the government did was they put actual big arrows hmm. all over the ground, so the pilots that were flying these air these mail routes would look down and I'm trying to get one kind of from a pilot's vantage point. Look at that. Oh yeah. Look at that. <laughs> so they, and they, they scattered this all over the country. Imagine starting in New York wow. and just following arrows <clears throat> on the ground. Oh my God. Can you imagine? And there's a, there's a, there's a really rich history between these arrows. And of course, a lot of them have been taken up, especially in ur urban areas. But sure? you, as soon as you get out past, um, you know, the, um, you know, the Midwest or whatever, they're, they're just still there because there's just no reason to, mm -hmm. to pull them up. And, um, you know, sometimes they get, they get colored uh, by the locals and sometimes integrated into a park. Uh, I'm really trying to get some, uh, here's some bird's eye view ones. 
So anyways, that's um, really neat. Yeah. When I, when I learned of these, you know, I was like, and then a lot of them had towers. Mm -hmm. A lot of them had, a lot of them, the boxes at the, at the squares were struck um, for, uh, they were um, bases for uh, light towers and there were attendants that would uh, attend to these, these mm -hmm. structures. So I just, when you, when you point out those fire towers, cause as a kid, I remember riding my dirt bike, um, through the woods and coming across those old fire towers. Yeah. And so, uh, it's just, it's just amazing. I was, here's another thing. Here's another wow. old route. So like all over here, these are known, um, markers. And of course you, you know, there's, there's a lot of history of heroes and, mm -hmm. and loss of life and things because, you know, flying can be pretty treacherous back, back at the beginning when there was really no weather reporting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was no, no way, no way to tell if you were flying into a mess or not, you know, and then there's yeah. this kind of notion of they in the aviation industry, they call it get their itis, you know, you get this <laughs> notion where you just, you got to get it done and mm -hmm. uh, pilots fly into their, untimely demise but anyways i thought that was cool that so is that's fascinating and how long do, how long was it before they before they did night flying was that right away or you know i can't i'm, I'm not a historian by yeah. any stretch but i you know you can imagine when you you can fly at night on a clear sky pretty well over like the Met, what what they call the megatropolis of from dc to boston sure. right if it's clear skies you can like the the north the light pollution lights up um pretty easily but if you are heading north coming up the coast and you look to your right on a night flight which i've done a number of times it it is disorienting that ocean mm. is deep and black and dark yeah. and um so if you can't dis discern between the horizon and the ground you are you you get um spatial disorientation and it's it's a problem so i early aviation i'm sure did not there was not a lot of night flying and i'm you know pilots find themselves in a situation you know that they can't you know sometimes you, you launch and everything's going well and then you know terrain changes the moon the light of the moon changes if the moon disappears behind a big cloud that you didn't mm -hmm. anticipate um you know uh, so night aviation probably wasn't, you know, it was done, but it probably, it wasn't, it wasn't a robust experience. I think at the early, early days. Um, yeah. Just wondering if they ended up adding lights to those arrows at any point or if that was a, a feature. Um, yeah. Well, I think if I show this again, let me, these towers, I think were beacons. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So just at, for, for, you know, even a beacon in the daylight can can help, you know, or in the twilight mm -hmm. or in the early, you know, just to maximize your day. Sure. If, you're if you know, you know, you're launching us. And then if and then, of course, if you're let's see, rises in the east, sets in the west. So if you're if you're heading westbound, mm -hmm. um, you can extend your ride um, as the sun is setting. So, yeah, I mean, the beacons, every airport has a beacon. Um, so. But that doesn't necessarily inform whether you can fly at night because these might have been hundreds of miles apart. Yeah, right. Yeah. And one point on it standing on its own isn't 
super helpful, I guess, unless you're curious if you're off course or not. And then it's right. some reassurance that you found the next one. Right. Yeah. So that's cool. Just, little American history. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun stuff. But uh, yes, yeah, so I was, I was pretty much in, into that uh, over the weekend and I picked up a couple books to get into it a little bit deeper, more so uh, of the, uh, the Adirondacks and kind of the history around that. Cause it really is sort of a fascinating feature really of our, of our country. The idea of kind of the, the public and private partnership of establishing something that is not a national park that people do live in, there is private ownership and people do live and work there, but yet there's that, that balance of trying to create the forever wild while still allowing people to live and work here is it's unique. And it is the only place in the country that has that structure. So um, fascinating to learn how I, all that came together. I love it. So this weekend, um, just to kind of cover my bases, what did we do? Um, did I see a birthday quiet. party in the mix? Yeah, let's see. There was, um, God, I always do this. Uh, <laughs> we, let's see, we socialized with some friends on um, Friday night, which we hadn't done in a while. So um, our friends just had a baby. So we got to see the baby. Got to um, see the baby. Yeah. It's so, so fun to hold a little baby. Um, Saturday. I blank. We didn't do much. It was a it was a pretty quiet weekend. Um, we just uh, me and my wife and my oldest saw Top Gun last night, nice. and so we get checked that box. Um, you know, did you see it yet? I have. I have not. I was going to ask you if you're if you're one of these guys who gets into the the flying part of it, and if there's irregularities or inconsistencies so, with real life, if that bothers you. So what's really really interesting is it um tom cruise is is famously a pilot yeah uh, you know so um you know there's a ton of media out there where like the guy he like lands a jet lands and he's the only occupant who steps out of it <laughs> and he get you know um and there's there's this really funny he he has he flies a honda honda um jet which is a really cool looking jet um i don't know if i can add this to the stream or not um this is this is the honda jet that tom cruise flies and uh so here's him him and jim uh james gordon Corden have a really fun relationship i don't know if you've ever seen any of their stuff to do but for whatever reason he tom cruise has latched on to him and they're oh, they're friends so they've done a quite a bit of funny skits but like Tom Cruise, like there's a video on YouTube or something where like Tom Cruise, like you see this jet land, he gets out of it like this. There's a there's a Kawasaki Ninja like on the like right next to the 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 jet that he pulls up to. So um, anyways, he so Tom Cruise is a pilot and, um, you know, being a pilot, when you watch a aviation kind of uh, focused movie, like the things that are the radio uh, convers the radio talk is always inaccurate mm -hmm. um the flight dynamics uh, are always inaccurate or unrealistic um so watching top gun which you know he hyped as his baby you know cl very clearly top gun was something that he was protecting very closely and um you know so then i'm you know as i'm watching this i'm like 
you know, it's Tom Cruise. So like we, me and my wife call these kinds of movies like junk food, you know, mm -hmm. like it's none of it's good for you, but like, it's, it's fun. You know sure. what I mean? So, um, so just trying to watch the movie, it's junk food is in short, the movie's junk food. And I'm a little surprised because he's an aviator. So like a lot of the, fl the flying, almost all of it, almost all of it is like unrealistic by a lot, by a whole lot. Like there's one of the, one of the trailers you see, like he's talking to the students and they're flying in a formation like this. And somehow he's like, he's below them. And then yeah. like to get the uh, exercise started, like he goes into a vertical climb and like splits them in half and just blows them over and stuff. And it makes for really great TV. But like, you know, what are these jets worth? Like 50 million a pop or something like yeah. it's just would never happen. Never happen. Not even by a lot. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I'm a little surprised that he wasn't more he didn't have. He wasn't more creative in the flying sequences that would be realistic okay. so that he could have a little more pride. So he kind of went like full mission impossible, uh, mission impossible on the, the cinematography of the, of the flying. I mean, even to like that, like, I don't know. Did you watch any of the trailers? A little bit. Yeah. So like, there's one maneuver where they're trying to get into a Canyon. And so like they're flying up and then they go into a vertical, uh, an inverted like uh, dive like this to get into it. And then you roll over. Like you can do that move, but they're like, we're going to do it at a hundred feet AGL above ground level. And you know, if you like the suspense was all built up and you're like, I don't know. And then we're going to pull 10 G's and we're going to bend the airframes. It's like, mm, I don't know. Like it just, it's yeah. just kind of, it was a little weak, but then there was like a lot of the, so they did have some of the um, radio conversation. Like you could tell was accurate. Like, so, hmm when you before you take off in a plane at, at a towered airport you have to get what's called the ATIS, which is the i forgot what the acronym stands for automated terminal information system which is like a designated frequency that you tune to to pick up um the published landing and departing the active runway the weather and the uh, altimeter setting so you need all of the you need all of that information and, and um and in some cases if there's any notums which are noticed to airmen to see if uh, any taxiways are closed or or whatever like that so he actually picks up the atis in the movie you know and like every every pilot was like nice <laughs> so he, he like a little sprinkling of like it's re you know it's a little we're real pilots doing this but like it was total junk food mm -hmm. all right well, that's good to know, but it didn't ruin the movie for you in any way. No, I mean, I, I tried to not have a really critical eye. I think the way that they integrated. So Val Kilmer um, got really sick over the past five years, I guess. Did you know that? Yeah. So um, he's really unwell looking. I guess he's uh -huh. healthy now, but just from the cancer and stuff like it kind of took its toll on him physically. So um, he just looks really unwell. I'm surprised they they clearly worked on him to make him look good. But the way that they like integrated him into the movie was like, it just felt a little forced, you mm -hmm. know, Kelly McGillis wasn't in it either. So like they could have just wrote him around the story a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, I, so I don't know. I, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a critic at heart, but only for the love of the game, you know, yeah, sure. not, not to hate on it. I'm not a hater. I'm a lover. So, right. Um, definitely worth, you know, worth seeing and, you know, we'll see it, we'll watch it again when it comes on streaming and stuff like uh -huh. that. And, yeah. Um, 
So that was my next question. Is it worth seeing in a in the theater? Does the do you need to feel the the sound or are you good at home? I'm not an audiophile, so like I never need to go to the movie theater for the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, we go to the movies. I've always gone to the movies more for an activity to do. Um, I don't need the movie theater. Like I'm not a big big audio video file. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like the quality of the screen and the sound. In fact. I find most movie theaters to be too loud. Right. You know, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, and we went, we we took the kids um, when we went to Florida a few weeks ago to um, to see Lightyear, and my five year old was like, she needed, she wanted to leave the theater, and so yeah. then we went to see Minions a few weeks ago. After that, and we brought earmuffs for the five year old, yeah. you know, and she, and she she appreciated that. And I'm almost like I would almost wear earmuffs mm-hmm. at a theater, so. And like yeah. when I go to concerts and stuff, like I don't want to stand in front of the speaker and like I'm not that guy. I want to be in the middle, like farthest away from the loud noise, right? And the chaos. Yeah. Um, adjust the theater volume based on the number of uh, patrons they have in, in the seats, if that matters. Do they? I don't know. I'm just asking. I wonder. Yeah, I mean the 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 flesh bags that fill the room. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure there's an acoustic calculus there so you may actually have to modulate the music or the volume yeah. at, to some degree but um yeah i think i don't know sometimes the minimum wage. i feel like it's like sometimes the minimum wage workers up there that are hitting the play and play button and button and then just turning it up you know sometimes i yeah. feel like they just, it's like you know a couple times like when we went to see Lightyear, like i looked at my sister even my sister was like this is this is kind of ridiculous you know so we we kind of just kind of grinned and bared it um right but it was like it was like one just like one little half measure away from just going to talk to the manager like can you just (laughs) turn that down yeah we try really hard not to be that people you know the theaters are struggling they probably view that as part of the experience or whatever so they probably overdo it that's that's what we do yeah do things the other thing too is we don't we never go on opening weekends every time we go to a movie theater the place looks like it's about to go out of business but yeah i I know that's partly because we never go on open. We never go on opening weekend or weekends. Mm-hmm. We always wait for the the groundswell to clear before we go. I I always want to be in the back center of the auditorium. I yeah. never want to be in the front corner looking looking up like this. You know, right? Um, we started going to Hartford, the one down in. Um, oh, I always forget what it is. What Front Street? I think it's Front Street okay. where the Science Center is. Yeah. And there's a um, really fun barbecue place there called Bears. Okay. So the venue is pretty nice and clean, and the seating is 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 pretty nice. So that's where we've been going. If West Hartford doesn't ha- isn't showing it, yeah, we've gone to Plainville the last couple times. Although we have a theater in Southington. Actually, no, I think we did go to Southington last time. But usually we go to Plainville. It's a little bit nicer there. Believe yeah, we we go to Plainville once in a while. But you know, I got like a real like. Um, how do I say this so tastefully? <laughs> you know, I think there was like a gun shooting or something um, last time, not okay. at that theater, but like in the news. And then when mm-hmm. like we went, we went to that theater and I just got this real like uncomfortable, like it's in New Britain on the New Britain Plainville yeah. line. And let's face it, like New Britain can have some of some challenges when it comes to mm-hmm. like public safety. Um, and so like, I just, 
I don't know. I get a weird vibe with that place. You know, it's fine yeah. when it's fine, but like, I just like, you know, if, if a group, I just feel like it's like one weekend away from a headline saying like a group of teenagers came through mm -hmm. there and just did like a, you know, like they, they, they do it at West farms mall for God's sakes. Yeah. You know, like sometimes you get these rash of teenagers in there that will just like start, you know, chaos. And I just yeah. feel like that place might be just like a tinderbox of that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's, it's scary stuff. The, the malls, the movie theaters, because it is so I mean, it's different in that the malls are obviously more wide open, but you're sort of in a way trapped with the movie theater and it's dark and it's, you know, you can't see what's going on in there. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. exactly where my head's at with that. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah uh moving us along where you if, if you're still watching you're watching finance and technology insights um i'm the ceo of evernet consulting and i'm have with me my partner brian williams of northshire consulting we do have some websites and stuff here's brian's website northshire consulting and here's my website evernet consulting which is a work in progress we do have a youtube channel finance and technology in uh, where everything is uh, posted here. And we do have a Facebook page and group that we curate some news articles that we'll talk about in a minute. But before we get to that, if you haven't already subscribed or give this video a like, do so now. And I want to know what's going on with Northshire. I love that. I, I hear it so much now. I feel like I heard it somewhere else, but it's probably just here last week. You now it's starting to sound so familiar. I'm it's like, catchy. Did we, yeah. Did we get that from somewhere? Like, are we stealing somebody else's thing? Is that open license? I hope. And we, I, I, yeah. Yeah. YouTube would have bounced it if it wasn't. I think I might actually got it from, from YouTube. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if you are a, a YouTube person and you have your own channel, they, under the uh, studio, they have some free audio that you can use there, which some people we obviously know. haven't found. We were using some other venue for some uh, sound and video clips, and and it was supposed to be open license, but we still got it flagged as a possible violation. So we mm -hmm. had to keep like pushing back and saying, "No, it's it's free license." So yeah, so I had that issue with uh, something I got from Canva that was uh, I think that's what supposed we to be open licensed and. Um, yeah, I got an audio track from there and then tried to use it on YouTube and they they didn't like it. So That's what happened to us exactly, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's going on in business? Anything? Oh, business-wise, I mean, just enjoying the fact that uh, to be mobile and to be on the road, I think, is is nice and to be able to pop up anywhere. It's good. Um, still working on some collaborations with some other advisors, which is, which is pretty fun. I like that. Uh, planning some in-person events in the fall, both on my side and in those in-person collaborations, um, doing a lot around the, uh, the state sponsored state mandate retirement program. So the, the first deadline just passed June 30th, then for hundred or more employees. So most businesses with a hundred or more employees probably had retirement plans anyway. So I don't feel like that was a big deadline, but it's going to be 25, 26 employees to 99. The deadline's October 31st. So, um, I think things will be relatively calm in the summer, but from Labor Day on, uh, I mean, it doesn't take much to get to 25 employees, you know, especially restaurants and things like that when you start factoring everybody in. So um, so a little bit more content around that. I know the state is, is doing their own thing. Um, 
which I've had some some issues with and, and challenged them a little bit because one of the frustrating things is they're not bound to the same regulatory environment that we are. So I've seen it advertised in a couple different places as free, which which bothers me, which is dumb anyway, because nobody's going to believe that it's free. But it's just it just means the business isn't paying the bill. The employees are. That's all that means, which you can design a 401k to have the employer pay, have the employees pay, split it, do, you know, turn the dial whatever way you want. But um, I would never market a program as free. I would never, you know, anything like that. But they're allowed to do that because, you know, they're allowed to do that. So um, anyways, but that's uh, that's been an area of focus for me. Um, still doing some some my own content, little mini podcast and doing some longer stuff. I recorded a Nice piece with uh, the Community Foundation of, of Greater New Britain, which is a, a local nonprofit here. But their um, the Community Foundation aspect is uh, carries through throughout different communities. I guess there's about 175 of them. A lot of them are, are more New England based. Um, in Connecticut, we've probably got five or six, but. Um, you know, a couple of things that have changed over the years is most people think, you know, you make your money, make your money, you die, and then you leave your money to, but that's really not, really not the new model. And there's so many more different ways to build in more active giving. You know, that model never made sense to me. It's like, give it now while you can enjoy it. You know, it's like to, to see the fruits of, of your labor um, and also to be able to give a little bit, you know, along the way. It's, you can do so much more now with, with small, you know, really directed gifts than, you know, big, you know, big gifts later on and all that kind of stuff. So um, they buying libraries that you'll never get to see. Yeah, I know. Just to put your name on a plaque that is not probably permanent anyway, because they'll, they'll do it for a few years and somebody else will sponsor the renovation in 20 years and your plate goes off and there it goes on, you know? So, um, but one of the things they do, which is nice is they have this, uh, this catalyst fund where I think the first year is maybe $75 to join. And then after that, it's $250 a year, but they bring this group of, um, I think they're up to about 80 people now. So you figure either 75 or mostly $250 from 80 people. And then they have this pot of money and they, they do three or four different, uh, they listen to three or four different presentations and then vote as an 80 person group where, the sum total of their contributions go to. So you have the ability as a group of really small people for um, relatively small amounts to make a big impact on a program. Um, so that that's grown over the years. So that's something small that they do um, that is fairly interesting. So a lot of the community foundations are doing that. Um, the other thing they'll do is they'll support other, other groups, other endeavors, other, uh, other nonprofits where, you know, it can be kind of a pain to start a nonprofit and, you know, what do I do next filings and how do I handle the money stuff? So there'll be the fiscal agent basically handle all the money stuff behind the scenes. Um, and then just you keep it, your branding and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was a good conversation with them. Um, I thought it was important for my audience too, because we talk about all these things about, you know, growing your money, but what are you going to do with it that has purpose either for yourself or somebody else? So to bring them sort of in the mix and have that conversation was, was productive. So, um, yeah, so that's my last seven days. Let's see what's Thanks. going on in the world of Evernet. I love, I love the binary code. <laughs>
Uh, so yeah, with me, we're um, we're build continuing to build out our sales and marketing. I guess I, in a way, I want to drop the term sales and marketing. I want to kind of divide them. Right now, I'm calling it sales and marketing, but I feel like in some future soon, it may be a marketing team and a sales team, and they'll have to collaborate. But mm -hmm. um, building out the sales and marketing team came up with this um, idea to um, hire creative writers, bespoke creative writers. Did I talk about this last week? A little bit. Yeah, you said you're putting it together. Yeah. So I have, th I, I, you know, it's crazy what the job market does. Like I, I use Bamboo HR for uh, my um, candidate searching and stuff. It's really cool with Bamboo HR. Um, we can curate our job postings and things and then um, do the whole kind of uh, posting of the job. They post Indeed and ZipRecruiter and even ZipRecruiter has its own network. So it, it gets good exposure. And then um, the applicants apply all in the bamboo friendly format and there's some application questions and submit your resumes and stuff. It's a really nice uh, tool to then communicate with the applicants and score them and weight them and that sort of thing and, and do all that. Um, years past when I was looking for like a web resource with somebody like a web host web, or not web host, a web developer, website manager, that sort of thing. You know, I would get I was getting, you know, tons, several a day uh, applicants and um, we just reposted that. And and that faucet is now dripping. So, like, I don't know where all those people are, all the people who are who who develop and all the contractors and independent workers out there who, who do websites and web work. Um, I don't know where they are, but they are they're not they're not um, desperately looking for work, it, it seems. Um, however, um, I did the same, you know, I just created a listing for a creative writer and those people, I guess, are very hungry because I was getting multiple in, in a minute at some point. I was, I, wow. I had, um, I, after several, I think we, we didn't hit 200 applicants, but somewhere in the mid hundred or so 150 applicants, I said, I got to turn this off because I just, I don't want to present that we have, you know, I just couldn't, I'm sure the, the right candidate was within that 150 submission. Um, so I didn't want to misrepresent the, uh, the, you know, the need for the position. So I turned, finally turned it off. And I last week went through, uh, those, those applications. And it's really nice because, um, if you create application questions, it's a really great way to quickly call the pile. Um, mm -hmm. because frankly, people, it's amazing what people, I, I think I posted this even on my personal social, social page. It was like a real head shaker. Like what people, I think I was not specific, obviously, cause I, I don't want to violate anybody's privacy, but, um, you know, I just posted, I think on my personal page, which I think you saw and you, 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 um, liked or whatever and goofed on. But, um, I just was like, it's amazing what people will submit for a job application like why spend the time? I don't understand. Like, I don't get it, but like people actually answer rudely to these questions, like, like aggressively, you know? And it's like, I mean, I get, maybe you've got, you've submitted a hundred or 200 application and maybe you're just like tired at this point and you just have to get it off your chest. But it's pretty amazing what some people will respond. Um, like literally one of the questions, the last question always is like in plain, I always like to, to use real speak when speaking to um, employees and contractors and business and stuff. Um, and I just said, the last question is like, we're looking for an independent creative resource who loves writing, 
who love, you know, loves what they do. Are you this person? Like a lot of people answer no. <laughs> Uh, okay yeah. <laughs> like resumes there i know who you are you're telling me who you are um there's a couple writing sample requests before those that question mm. um you maybe blew off the writing questions or maybe produced one writing sample or like a, a couple people were like snarky all the way through the writing samples and then like no you know it's like i, I just don't know what's going on with people these days but it, i just thought it was funny but the writing, the the questions are a great way to see like who really is, who really does want to be a part of your organization. So when you, when you ask somebody a question, like, and they give you a, a well thought out, it's heartbreaking actually to see so many uh, good responses. Hmm. And, you know, you're like, geez, I can't, I wish I could hire all of you. And I ended up hiring three. Wow. So I took on three. They're in, they're in contractor status. Um, but uh, three three great applicants, and there were more. There were a lot more. Like I said, when you have 150 submissions before you turned off the, the fire hose, um, there there's there's always good people in that. I just wish there were. Wish I was getting that out of the web resources. I did post something mm -hmm. on LinkedIn and Plain Speak. I said, "Hey, I'm looking for a web developer," and uh, unfortunately, I'm getting flooded by uh, offshore resources. And uh. and. You know, I just don't want to build a team of um, people offshore right now. It's it's right. a pro it's it's a pain in the ass because of the time zone alone. You know, mm -hmm. like I, if you're it's you know, I, I you know, we do have a couple of West Coast uh, resources and even that imposes some challenges, you know, just from a time time collaboration standpoint. Yeah. So that's that's what we're doing. Um, and we're I'm in the summer. So like I'm, you know, my operation and service side of the company and the business administration, the account, I, like thankfully, like the core of our business is running really well without my day, direct day to day input. Mm -hmm. um, but the sales and marketing department and function of this business of, of our business is like the last thing that I'm building out. Mm -hmm. And so like I'm the single point of failure for the development. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, and it, being the, the pandemic was like problem one and now we're in the summer. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I still have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old and the nine-year-old's in a lot of camps. So she's staying busy, but the five-year-old doesn't have as many options available to her. So, mm -hmm. um, like I, I basically had a half week last week, um, you know, to spend with my daughter, which I do because she's, you know, my kids are the most important thing to me. And these, this, Time is something we can never get back. But I tell I was talking to my friend this morning who called me and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And I, I was like, you know, uh, you know, just getting going, whatever. And we, we got to talk about the kids and it's like, I don't want to rush summer away, but it, there's only <laughs> six weeks left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know you don't want to waste the days away in, in any any scenario. And it, uh, yeah, I mean, for us right now with the with our son, we're just trying to get <laughs> the simplest we're trying to get away from him a little bit because he's been i mean pandemic he's four years old he's been you know within five feet of us is basically his his whole life so the idea of just letting him do an overnight at grammys letting him do a nap there's like a you know it's a big deal for him and us and it's a solution that you know gets my grandmother going gets her gets my mother going gets her something to do and you know he likes it and um but yeah, it is, it is hard for people who've got kids around that four or five-year-old range, getting them back around people and getting them away from the parents is a big deal. Yeah. So we, uh, we have a hard, we set ourselves a hard 60 minute, uh, deadline. We've got 12 and a half minutes. 47 already. 
do you do you want to talk about anything in the news? Um, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on the uh, on the the password system. Uh, so I shared an article about uh, Apple, Google, and Microsoft working on a on a new password system, which is um, All right, hold on. I don't hold know. On. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. So. I- I'm not going to waste you. You, you. you spent a lot of time yeah. on these things. I don't want to waste them. I know. I forgot about that That third one there. Man, how did I miss that? All right. What um, do you got? Yeah. So uh, so Apple, Google, and Microsoft. This was an, an article from uh, Popular Science or PopSci, as the kids call it. Apple, Google, and Microsoft team up for new password-free technology. Um, and I guess the, the idea is obviously get away from passwords, even get away from two-factor, two but where it's going to be a, a single point that's connected to your devices. So once you log into your device with your passcode, your face, your fingerprint, whatever, from there, that will you know make it login free from here on out. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Obviously, people on the working well, on this are far far smarter than I am. But um, so yeah, so all this is is really it's still multi-factor authentication. Let's let's be clear on that. So all all they're doing is they're building a standard that they can all collaborate on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Microsoft or Google and Apple control the handset uh, market. Um, so it's really Apple and Google, and and Microsoft is a power player because they they have huge cloud infrastructure application. They've got the operating system on the you know the Windows operating system. Mm-hmm. So let me just say that I guess Apple and Google control the handset market, uh, Apple and Microsoft control the desktop market. So these three powerhouses, American power powerhouses are working, are working together to make essentially multi-factor authentication. Um, the term, the tech, the techno lights call like to use is frictionless. Mm-hmm. So if you establish yourself on a cell phone, for example, you can, largely established that your identity it's your phone if um especially using various physical metrics on the phone you can say okay if whomever is in control of the phone is it, that is the assumed identity right so then if you log into your windows pc your apple pc maybe even your google uh, chromebook or those any of those respective companies like cloud services, uh, Work Azure, whatever, and you do go, you go through uh, whatever their registration process to say like, okay, I've got my phone. I'm going to log into uh, my user account on my Windows computer, and Windows might prompt up and say, okay, register your phone as your second identity, your second factor, and then they'll have some process, maybe a QR code or whatever. So basically, now. They're gonna. They're rep- They're they're saying the. It's still multi-factor. It's just less app-driven. It's less technical. It's less. Um. It, they're really trying to lower the bar for the configuration and setup. Like we we I talked about this. Um. In your in weeks past, how like multi-factor right now is not like uniformly administered. You know, if you go to like. If you go to Facebook and try to set up your multi-factor authentication on Facebook and then you try to do it on Twitter and you try to do it on mm-hmm. Google or Microsoft, like the experience is different and you have to go do it and it's you have to interpret it. And for So what they're just trying to do is like, hey, let's just build a standard built around the cell phone, built around our, our respective operating systems and like let's 
like make it frictionless. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully, hopefully it works and it's, and it's good for, for everybody. I mean, for most people who are using some sort of password manager, it kind of feels like we're almost at what you described anyway. Um, so, you know, when I log into my phone and log into my password manager on my phone, everything I use for the rest of the day says, you know, do you want to invoke your password manager and what's stored there? And you hit yes. And then, it, and then it pre-fills it. So sort of feels like that type of experience. But again, they're trying to make it passwordless too. Right. So like the, there's biometrics now on the phone. So your mm -hmm. thumbprint and your face is now biometric. One thing that that bugs me is you still need to remember your your code on your phone. So like if the phone restarts uh, for whatever reason, an up an update or power failure or whatever, like mm -hmm. in an on an iPhone, we still have to start the session on the phone with the code. Is, uh, you have an Android, right? Yeah, we have the same thing. Yeah, anytime it's totally powered down or restart, you have to use the code to start. But then like and then subsequent sessions, you can you use your biometric. Correct. Yeah. So like that, I'm hoping goes away. I'm hoping they solve that somehow because mm -hmm. it still is like if we're going with if we're going to password free technology, then like don't have an asterisk and they're like, oh, but when you reboot, you have to use your code. Like just mm -hmm. make my biometric my code. You know what I mean? Like right. why? Why is that? And I can breathe fire about how like, you know, on my I all on all the eye devices floating around this house. We, every kid has an iPad. The nine year old has her own phone. She's got a watch now. Um, I've got a phone, watch, and iPad. My wife, whatever. Like I have automatic updates turned on on all of them. But do they all install the updates automatically? No. Somehow I still have to like install updates and enter the Apple ID password mm. to uh, to download updates. So it's like if this effort results in that going away, we're like you know, we can just authenticate to the devices with our, with our, our biometric. Does that speak to the, your concern or was it, did I talk over you on what you No, what I didn't, about? I didn't necessarily have a concern. I just thought it was interesting that they're moving, moving in that direction. I know that's been a, I mean, that's a huge issue, especially for, um, for some older fo folks, it's the password stuff. And it's amazing how much, time I spend in my day, like resetting stuff or trying to do things for people that's, that's related to that. I don't mind. You're helping them out. You're, you're doing your job and you're providing a service, but it's, uh, you know, and then you'll get the, uh, the doomsdayers or the conspiracy theory people that are like, Oh, great. Now Apple's going to have my biometrics. Now Apple's going to have my fingerprint. They're going to, you know, store it on their database. What are they going to do with it? Now Apple's going to have a, you know, so, complete outline of my face and my irises and what are they going to do with it? And can it be hacked and stolen? Is my fingerprint going to be reproduced to, to put on the trigger of a, of a gun and a shooting and somewhere. So all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, being framed for crimes is, used to be a lot easier, you know, yeah. you, you know, so, um, is that going to happen? I mean, probably, I don't know, but you know, all I can say is, um, the difference between having the government manage these technologies and public enterprise managing these technologies is they have a fiscal imperative to not piss off their market. Mm -hmm. So if the market feeds back and says, you better handle our stuff well, otherwise we're going to bounce. You know, like mm -hmm. I just read an article yesterday that said um, Amazon is, you know, Amazon has the ring system, the ring camera system, and they actually built a dashboard back end where local law enforcement can plug into that 
And if they detect a crime in the area, they can actually look at the Amazon provided dashboard and say, there's some cameras in the area that you can request footage from. And um, the, the, um, the camera owner, the homeowner can receive that request and then approve or deny the, the uh, authorization to the camera. Um, well, yesterday we just read that um, Amazon will bypass that, um, that process if the law enforcement agency says it's a matter of life or death. Mm. And so they submitted that um, last year they, they gave like in 15 instances or 22 instances this year, they, they gave um, law enforcement access to video, but they, they built a process to do it. And, you know, we, it's a lot of meat on this bone to chew on this. We we're mm -hmm. running, we're running out of time, but yeah. Um, yeah. With, te with technology comes, uh, you know, the, the, what's the, the, the common talk track is like, it's going to come with, with great capital and convenience mm -hmm. and it's going to, and there's going to be some bad stuff that's going to come with it too. So, yep. um, sure. we don't keep, we don't keep the auto. We didn't keep back the automobile because 36,000, uh, people die every year, um, because the automobile brings significant value to the, mm -hmm. to the economy and, and the, the, the world. So right. I just kind of like that, you know, and it'll be a lot safer when they put the speed limit controls in. Right. Oh God! We're, I wish we could go week. longer. We we I need know. to go. We need to widen this because I, I I would love <laughs> to talk about that. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a teaser for next week. Maybe we can get into that. Like either one of us will remember that for next week, but right, we'll pretend right. that we will. Uh, so right, I'm Brian so Williams from Northshire Consulting, which is a Connecticut-based investment advisory firm working with small businesses and families. So you can find us at NorthshireConsulting.com and schedule an appointment uh, and look at different stuff there. And then our online persona, if you will, is 401k and beyond. And that's the name of our YouTube channel and on most social media platforms, including our Facebook group. And uh, Eric can take us out. I'm Eric Bjorndorf, CEO of Evernet Consulting. We are an IT services and consulting management company, um, servicing professional businesses all over the country. Um, if your technology provider is, uh, is not doing it for you, uh, give me a call. You can schedule a discovery call right on my website, evernetco.com, and uh, we can talk about what you need. That's right. pretty much it. We'll see you next week. Another one's in the can. Have a good week.